Father, I ask that you would use me. Let my words encourage, oh God. Let my words stir. Let my words convict, oh God. Not because they're my words, but because they're your words, oh God. Father, people came today in all sorts of different ways, oh God. Father, in all sorts of places in their life, oh God. But Father, your word can speak at every stage, at every age, in every circumstance, oh God. Your word has the ability to get through, oh God. So pray, I pray today that you would use me as I speak in Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. Well, this week I was doing my devotions and I'm in Luke at the moment. And it was Tuesday morning and I was in Luke 8. And I was just reading Luke 8. It's a very famous story. It's just like a, a story with many parts And uh, I'm going to go through the story a little bit, and most of you would know it. It's a famous story of the Bible. So Jairus is a temple ruler. So he's one of the bosses. He's a a temple ruler. And, and, And what he does is he comes to Jesus because he has a daughter who's about to die. He's so desperate that he does the unthinkable, and he goes to Jesus. For Jairus, it's an actual gutsy thing to do. Temple rulers weren't meant to go to Jesus. Jesus was like the opposition. Jesus was like the, like the enemy. Jairus could have been reprimanded. He, he could be shamed. Even worse, he could have been kicked out of the, the synagogue because he went to Jesus. He was definitely going to get cancelled by going to Jesus. You know, there was another religious leader of the Jews who had come to Jesus as well. His name was Nicodemus, but he came under the cover of darkness. You know, in the Bible, you see all the interactions that Jesus has with temple rulers and and with religious leaders are antagonistic. They're always about having a little bit of a fight. And the the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the temple rulers are always trying to get Jesus in a gotcha moment. Ah, gotcha. You say you're God, but ah, gotcha. You say you understand the scripture, but ah, I've gotcha. But they never get Jesus. There's no gotcha moments with Jesus. He always turns it around. So Jairus comes, and not only does he just come to Jesus in a public place, he actually falls at Jesus' feet. And it's a posture of servanthood. It's a posture of worship. It's a posture of humility. Here's a guy who's known leader in the community, and now he's in a posture of humility at Jesus' feet. The Bible takes the time to mention that there's a large crowd. This is not done in secret. This isn't a, away from people. Everyone is seeing it. So to be honest, it's a very courageous act by Jairus, the, the, the temple ruler. He tells him about his daughter, and Jesus says, I'm going to come with you. Now, that's interesting in itself because he could have healed at his word. You know, Roman centurion came to Jesus and said, my servant's sick, and, and Jesus just says a word, and his servant's healed. So when Jesus decides to to go with Jairus, he understands he doesn't need to be physically present for a miracle to happen. He just knows that there's something bigger at play here. So off they go. And while walking with the crowd, a really courageous woman enters the story. A lady who's had an issue of blood for 12 years. And the Bible takes the time to say she had suffered much. And I, I want to say to people here, when you have an issue that lasts for years, not just something that, that goes on. I was talking to someone this morning 
And it wasn't just something they've got to go through. This is something they've got to go through every day. This is something they've had to go through, not for weeks, but months and years. And this lady had gone through this for 12 years. And I want to say I have great compassion on people who are going through something that's consistent, where it's not just a problem, it's an actual condition that you have to, to deal with. And I, and I want to say good on you for keeping on reaching out to Jesus. And so she reaches out in the middle of this crowd and she touches, just touches the hem of Jesus' garment and she's immediately healed. She doesn't want to be noticed and she's even more apprehensive because she notices this crowd is Jesus and Jairus, the temple ruler, a temple ruler trained to judge people who have got these issues. And, and she knows that, that, that she shouldn't be there, but she's desperate. She knows that her condition, the issue of blood, makes it illegal for her to be out amongst the people. She's an outcast. 12 years of an issue of blood. Her friends have gone. Her husband's gone. Her children have gone. Because of the system, even if they wanted to help her, they weren't allowed. Because that would have made them unclean. What a terrible system that excludes someone because of something they have no control over. You know, when God in the Old Testament declared something clean or unclean, it was actually for the benefit of people. It was for the good of people. And I want to say, a 12-year exclusion from family, friends, and society was never God's intention when he decided to say something was clean or unclean. This is what happens when religion is used to try and control people, to exert power over people. What God intends for good, men turn for their own benefit for power and control. To be honest, I think that's quite evil. You think this woman who's got no control over what's happened to her is excluded because of a religious system that says somehow you're just terrible, stay away from us all. And that was never God's intention to do that. It was quite evil. So I read a quote the other day, and it says this. I've got it up on the screen. At the end of the day, I'd rather be excluded for who I include than be included for who I exclude. And I believe that describes Jesus' person perfectly. At the end of the day, and that's what I would love Emerge Church to be, that we would be known for who we include, not who we exclude. At the end of the day, I'd rather be excluded for who I include than be included for who I exclude. This woman in desperation courageously touches Jesus and is immediately healed. Jesus stops in his tracks and, and, and he asks, who touched me? And the disciples are incredulous. They're, they're like, Jesus, they're in a crowd. Everyone's touching you. What do you, what do you mean? But Jesus understands that power has gone from him. That, that something of, of spiritual virtue has gone from him. And the, the lady identifies herself and Jesus commends her and he sends her off in peace. Imagine, imagine that. He says, go in peace. 12 years of turmoil. There's no peace in this woman. And she has one touch of Jesus and now she's got peace. 
What a change. I think, to be honest, that that's almost as much of a miracle as the, as the stopping of the issue of blood. Her whole mindset is changed. And that's what Jesus does. When Jesus comes into your life, he doesn't just touch your body. He touches your body, soul, and spirit. So you can go in peace. It's a wonderful thing. And while this is all happening, a person comes and says, hey, don't worry about going to Jairus' house. His daughter has died. That's pretty full on. Imagine Jairus. He's a temple ruler, a desperate man. Imagine kind of how conflicted, how mad he must have been. He's a boss. He's a temple ruler. Bible says that. So he's not used to having his agenda interrupted. He's certainly not used to some unclean lady. You shouldn't even be in the street coming along and interrupting. You know, powerful men with authority like Jairus are actually used to setting the agenda, not having people that they feel better than interrupting their agenda. So I'm guessing he's mad, he's a bit upset. And to be honest, I, I can see why. I can see why he would be upset. Even if he's a good man, even if he's a, a good guy, he's just heard that his daughter's died. The, the, the daughter that he was so in love for, love with that, that he went and, and humbled himself and, and went and prostrated himself in front of a crowd, prepared to get cancelled because he was willing to do whatever it took to see her healed, and now she's dead. She's dead. It must have been terrible. Maybe, just maybe, if Jesus hadn't been interrupted. Jesus might have been able to get there in time to heal her. Imagine what is going on in his head. Why did this woman have to come and stop? He would have been there in time. But, oh, just imagine the, the frustration. It's pretty final. It's pretty dark. And, and it's pretty absolute at this time. And then Jesus says these words. And to be honest, it was these words that actually brought me to this sermon this morning. And it's also what I did my devotion on when I talked to the staff this week. Luke 8, verse 50. But Jesus, on hearing this, hearing that Jairus' daughter has died, says, answered him, do not fear, only believe and she'll be well. I want you to say it with me. Do not fear, only believe. Say it again. Do not fear, only believe. That's the gist of my message that I have for you this morning. What a thing to say to a man who's just heard, a desperate man who's just heard that his daughter has died. And Jesus says it to him. That's what hit me this week. He doesn't say it to the crowd. He says it to him, not to everyone. Do not fear, only believe. And that's a good thing for us. When we hear something we don't want to hear, when something happens that we don't want to really kind of acknowledge, when something happens that's horrible, we need to hear Jesus. We need to get a word from God. We can't let the crowd sway us. We can't let the immediate bad report inform us. We actually have to hear, what is Jesus saying? 
What is Jesus saying? And I want to say to you, when you hear bad news, Jesus wants to answer you. He's not running away. No, sorry, no, no, no. He says, oh, this is a bad situation. I didn't see this happening. I'm going to run away, right? No, he runs straight away. Immediately, he answers him and he says, do not fear, only believe. So this tells me that Jairus has a choice. He's at a crossroads. He can choose a fear road or he can choose a faith road. It's actually his choice. Fear is real. Fear is natural. Fear is what comes first when you hear something that seems to be out of your control. But it's always damaging. Fear is our flesh coming into play. That's why it's always first. We always react first with our flesh and react in fear. But the Bible tells us we're not called to walk by our flesh, but we're called to walk by our spirit. So we see that even though fear comes first, we have to respond to that fear with faith. There's an old saying that says, fear knocked on the door, faith answered, and no one was there. Fear not. Do not be afraid. Be strong. Be courageous. It's something that is all through the Bible. It's so many times in the Bible, it's not something that God hints at. It's not like this little suggestion over here that God says, oh, it's not a bad thing, fear not. No, it's something from Old Testament to New Testament. Fear not, God is at hand. Fear not, I am with you. Fear not, you're not alone. Fear not, only believe, be strong and courageous. Do not fear, do not be afraid. See, the fear may come first, but God gives us the capacity to have faith to overcome the fear. And that's what Jesus says to Jairus, do not fear, only believe. He says, make a choice. Respond with faith, not fear. And there's a very good reason for that. Fear activates the flesh. Faith activates your spirit. Fear sees the negative. Faith sees the positive. Fear looks at things through past history. Faith says there's a future, that, a different future that can develop. Fear sees no possibility of change. Faith knows things will change. Fear leaves you with a sense of hopelessness. Faith leaves you with a sense of hope. Fear steals from you. Faith adds to you. Fear focuses you on the problem. Faith focuses you on the solution. Fear leaves you feeling resigned to your fate. Faith opens your heart to so many other possibilities. Fear paralyzes you. Faith gets you moving. Fear isolates you, makes you feel abandoned and alone. Faith surrounds you with people. As the Bible says, a friend is born for the day of adversity. Fear robs you of options. So you, so you only try one thing or one way before just giving up. Faith gives you the perseverance to try every way, up, down, right, left, around in circles. It's no wonder that Jesus told Jairus, do not fear, only believe. Because fear makes it about yourself. Faith makes the issue about God. It's a choice. The Bible tells us to take every thought captive. We need to train our brain. 2 Corinthians 2 verse 
So it's in Corinthians 10 verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments. Does this sound like fear? Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. We need to arrest, that is, bring into captivity those thoughts that try and take us down the fear route and we need to replace them with thoughts that are driven by faith. This is one of God's weapons to take our thoughts captive. It's a weapon of God as prayer is, as worship is, as service is, as devotion is. As, as it's a weapon of God. You know, researchers of the brain have actually borne this out. There's a part of our brain, and I've got to, if I butcher the, uh, the pronunciation, I apologize, but there's a part of our brain called the amygdala. It's about the size of a walnut and looks a bit like a walnut. It's an awesome part of our design and it's there to keep us safe. God is a masterful designer. You need your amygdala because it's where you sense danger. But it doesn't work through process. It actually works instantaneous. There's no time involved. There's no process to it. There's no thought to it. It's just what happens. And it's safe because if you put your hand on a hot stove and you have a conversation with yourself, this is hot. I should probably take my hand off. Yes, taking my hand off is a good idea. By the time you think all that through, your hand's stuck there. You need one of those egg flips to get it off, right? It's not a good thing. Yeah, Amy Gladys says, get up. That's hot. You haven't got time to process it. You haven't got time to think about it. But that protective design can sometimes be misinterpreted. For example, if I had a big argument with you in the foyer today, rah, 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 we had a fight. I can't imagine that's ever going to happen. Right? So I try to use a, a thing that won't happen. Right? But uh, I've had a big thing. The next time that you come to church, the next time you come into that foyer, even though we've forgiven each other, I've gone to you, I'm very sorry, I shouldn't have done what I said, I, I shouldn't have done that. And you, with pure heart, receive it. And we've, we've reconciled, we, we've, 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 we've forgiven each other, we've moved on. The next time you walk into that foyer, all of a sudden you'll start to feel a bit nervous. You'll start to feel a bit apprehensive. You'll start to feel a bit fidgety. You'll start to feel a bit uncomfortable. And you wonder why. Because the last time you were there, there was a bad occurrence. Something bad happened. And all of a sudden there's this fear and you don't even know, why do I feel fearful? And that's why trauma is so horrible for so many people. Because you can go back into a situation that's got nothing to do with it anymore. Something you've moved on from, but all of a sudden there's this fear. There's this kind of uncomfortableness to, to what's going on. Your amygdala is sensing danger. It's not logical. Because the amygdala is not logical. There's no logic to it. And, and, and it's just there. And what it is, it's like fear. This insidious thing just trying to get its claws into you. So you need to take that 
thought captive. You need to challenge that fear. Pastor Mark is not going to yell at me in the foyer today. He understood that he was wrong. And if I'm yelling at you in the foyer, trust me, I'm wrong. All right? So it doesn't matter why I did it. I am wrong. So, so what happens is, is that I have to challenge that. If someone was robbing your house, you yourself would either try to stop them or you'd get the police to come and arrest them and take them into captivity. But sometimes we allow thoughts to just go wild in our head. And what starts off like this is all of a sudden like that. Is that true for anyone? It started off like this, but the next thing, it's all doom and gloom. And that's fear having its place. Our best actions, and I bet you didn't know I was going to give you a little brain kind of uh, lesson here today. Our best actions are controlled by what is called our frontal cortex. That's the part of the brain that, that controls our thought out decisions. I now look at this, I look at that, I look at this, and I make an assumption. And our best decisions are based on that. But it's the last place our brain makes decisions. If I have all the information, I make the decisions. But the great thing is, our frontal cortex trumps the amygdala. So if I'm able to consider, take thoughts captive, then I'm able to trump the sense of danger. I'm able to talk to it, I'm able to, to, to address it, I'm able to challenge it, I'm allowed to have faith start to walk and do its thing. My, my frontal cortex wins over my amygdala. You know, I love it that modern science has finally caught up to the Bible because psychologists call it cognitive behavior therapy. And the Bible calls it, take every thought captive. But be, it would be pretty bad if the Bible just tells us to do that, but then doesn't tell us how. So today, hopefully, I'll tell you how. How do you replace those thoughts of fear? How do you challenge those thoughts? Well, I'm glad you asked. We're going to go to Philippians. Finally, brothers, verse 8. We've all heard this. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honourable, Whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, there's anything worthy of praise, say it with me. Think on these these things. say, Say it again, sorry. Think about these things. Do not fear, only believe. Do not fear, Only believe right there is how we take captive our thoughts based in fear. What do we think about? Whatever is true is what's being said true. Whatever is honorable, is it honorable? Is it just? That's why having multimedia and all the different things inform your thought life because they're not these things. Let the Word of God inform your thoughts. Let let what it is, what Jesus says, inform your thoughts. But you have to do it. doesn't just happen. doesn't just happen. We need to replace our fear thoughts and replace them with faith thoughts. 1 John 4.18 says this. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. 
But fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been protected in love. In understanding the love of God, there's a protection. In understanding that God actually loves you, there is protection. And until you actually understand that, fear will have its place. See, this verse gives us a little bit of insight how fear works. All fear is based in the fact we don't really believe that God loves us. Somewhere deep down, we fear that what's happening is because God's not happy with us. That there's some measure of judgment. That, that, that there's punishment. That there's consequences. And, and I am not really a good guy. So I understand why God would do this to me. This sense of love, this, this misunderstanding of grace, that God has definitely graced us, that it's, it's, it's not deserved his love, but it's there, regardless of whether I deserve it or not. But we all kind of feel like, oh, uh, and, and that's why we don't really understand God's perfect love. Because perfect love casts out fear. And you really have to believe and to, to sit in God's love. So over the years, and I'm going to take you on a bit of a journey, and, and I've battled whether I do this or not, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to give you a little bit of an insight into what I do when I'm in this place, when fear is trying to have its way. You know, over the years, I've, I've got pretty good at kind of speaking to those things and of, of understanding it's not going to be the death of me, that, that doom and gloom. That, like, I, I've, I've got good at, at challenging those things, but every one of us goes through times where, where it starts to win, where it's like the, the, the avalanche of fear, the avalanche of doom, the avalanche of it's just all too much just starts to, to, to come upon us. And, and I do this, and so I'm going to take you on up uh, and what I do is this, because what happens is it just melts my fear away. It takes my sight from the flesh and what I can see, the problems that I've got to face, and it lifts my head into heaven, and it just helps me. It takes my thoughts captive, and it directs my thoughts to faith. If I'm, I, I do this deliberately. I actually take a piece of music, and uh, it's by Joseph Prince. And the reason I didn't want to do this is because it's actually not that good, right? The guy's got the world's worst voice. Yet, he's, I reckon, got one of the best worship albums ever. His, his voice is a terrible warble. It's like, oh, right? Like, but it does something. It actually does something in my spirit. It enables me to take authority over what it is that my fear is trying to say. It, it, it makes me sit in a place where, okay, I'm not going to fear. I'm actually going to believe. After doing this, I, I, the circumstances are exactly the same. Nothing has changed in this time. But when I leave, I'm different. All of a sudden, I've got an ability to believe. All of a sudden, I've taken captive those thoughts that have tried to exalt itself over what God wanted to do. 
So this morning, I'm going to ask you to sit. This, goes, this is just one particular song. It goes for six minutes. I want you to close your eyes, and I want you to allow God to do something. If you're thinking, you know, we've got an area where there's fear, there's something that you're dealing with right now, close your eyes, forget about the person on your left and your right, and allow God to do something. Let's play that today. He's your protection. Got your thoughts and tell your thoughts. Listen, God is your shield. Don't be afraid. Don't let your thoughts go astray. Don't let your thoughts think of tomorrow. Think of that deal. Think of that symptom in your body of what the doctors have said of the impossibility of the situation. Bring your thoughts to the obedience of Christ. He's your shield. Tears, 
single minute, not for one single second, will I loosen my grip on you. You are safe and secure. Underneath are the everlasting arms of your God. Behold, I, the Lord, say unto you, don't be afraid. I am with you, saith the Lord. Hallelujah. So that's a little bit of a personal look at to how I, when it comes to fear, when it comes to vexation, that I deal with it. It's personal. You might have just thought that last six minutes was, come on. But God wants us to be still and know that He is God. This is something I do personally. You know, Nina is a great encouragement to me. Nina's never the one that's causing me to fear and do all these things. And she can encourage me. She can give me something and it's nice. But when I get alone there, and this portion, it actually lasts about an hour and 20. And uh, I just sit down. I just listen to her. Something's doing in my spirit. Fear not. Only believe. Fear not, only believe. When Saul, King Saul was, was vexed, David would come and he'd play this music and, and, and it would help him. That music does it for me. There might be another piece of music that, that, that lifts you into that place where you can have faith rather than fear. But it doesn't happen by accident. 
I can run to Pastor Brett. I can run to Nina. I can run to Mrs. Carter. I can run to, to David Earl. I can run to all the people in this church and, and say, help me, help me, help me. And they will help me. They will encourage me. But it's not until I get alone, put on that music. To my staff, if you hear that coming from my uh, office, you know, oh, Pastor Mark must be dealing with something. <laughs> right. But it's deliberate. And if you don't take a deliberate action, you'll just run around. Help me. Give it to me. But what happens is just sit and be still and know that He is God. Fearing is easy. comes natural. And it's where the devil loves to play. Many a life has been ruined by it. Faith takes some work. Faith takes some courage. Faith can sometimes be challenging and uncomfortable, but it gets the job done. Jairus gets his miracle. What was a hopeless, terrible, unanswerable situation gets a miracle. That's where God wants to lift you into a place. God wants to lift you into a place where you can see rather than be blinded. It's blinded by fear. Let you be have sight by faith. Father, I speak to every say maybe the band can come. I speak to every circumstance in this place, oh God. Father, I speak to every circumstance, oh God, where fear is trying to yell out, oh God. Father, Lord, let a faith voice rise up right now in the name of Jesus. Let a faith voice rise up. Father, Lord, let it be what you say. Be louder than anything that the enemy says, oh Lord. Father, I pray that and I ask that in Jesus' name, amen. 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 Amen.